But uh, so continuing moving on here. I finished reading uh, Sean Finnegan's book, Kingdom Journey. Earlier this week, Sean was one of my professors at the Atlanta Bible College. He was a phenomenal teacher. He is a pastor out in New York and has done many presentations, wrote many articles, and has his own podcast with over 500 episodes at this point. However, Kingdom Journey is the first book that Sean uh, wrote. I meant to uh, bring a copy to show you all, but I don't have that here uh, this morning. But a phenomenal read. And throughout this book, Sean uh, takes a look at both scripture and church history and takes a look at the kingdom message being found or not so much found, uh, especially in, in church history. And there's a lot of value at looking at the history of the church. There's so much information that we can glean from it that provides a ton of value for us today. When we look back through the pages of church history, we see that the Catholic Church held many traditions, and these traditions can and have caused a lot of troubles. And the same could be true of churches today in the 21st century. Some aren't willing to take that next step forward because uh, some may cling to tradition. And tradition is not inherently good, and it's not inherently bad. Tradition is just tradition. One tradition of the Catholic Church is Lent. And I've always stayed away from Lent due to its connection and being a tradition of the Catholic Church. However, this year, I'm branching out, and I am going to take part in Lent, which begins this Wednesday. And so when we look at the history of Lent, uh, historians, uh, according to Christopher Hunt, historians generally agree that Lent emerged shortly following the Council of Nicaea, a really important council in 325 AD. Earliest observances of Lent seem to have focused particularly on the practice of fasting. Council records suggest that the fast applied at first mainly to new converts as a period of repentance and reflection before baptism at Easter. In any case, Lent quickly became a general practice churchwide. And the fast was very strict. You were to have one meal a day after three in the afternoon with no meat, fish, or dairy. Now, following Nicaea, practices of Lent that remain essentially unchanged for centuries. However, the strictness of the fast began to relax over time. And so over time, just giving something up became the centerpiece of Lent rather than a strict fast. And that's how people generally remember Lent nowadays is a, a rite where they uh, just give up one thing that is important to them until Easter. Some Protestants observe Lent, Protestants, someone who's not a Catholic, they observe Lent, while others criticize uh, this annual rite for not having a scriptural basis. But recently, Lent has uh, resurged in importance among mainline Protestant churches. Lent has no origin in scripture. Thus, it is not mandated. It's up to everyone to decide whether or not they uh, would like to take part in that. But this year, I'm uh, trying to separate the negative stigma that has been a Catholic, that it has being a Catholic tradition. I'm simply seeing the value of giving something up important to me for a stretch of time to help me be a better Christ follower. And I bring this up simply to invite you to take part in Lent this year as well, to temporarily give up something important for you uh, for about seven weeks to help you be a better follower of Christ as well. And so that starts this Wednesday. And I'm not mandating, I'm not pleading, I'm not begging, I'm not asking, not really even encouraging. I'm just inviting you, if you're interested, to take part uh, if you would like, as that starts this Wednesday. Um, and if you think it can help you with your relationship with God and His Son, Christ Jesus, then yeah, uh, come take part in it as well. 
And so near the beginning of the year, we started a new series entitled Five Down, Five to Go. Throughout this year, we are reviewing our past five years in ministry together, and we are looking at what our next five years could look like. And last week, we set five goals as a church to pursue in the next five years. And Ben, if you have those five goals uh, listed behind me there. These are five goals that we are pursuing as a church within these next five years in ministry. The first goal is to have an average attendance of 85 on Sunday mornings for our worship services. Number two, average uh, Sunday school attendance of 50. Plug five people into ministry roles. Have two separate Acts Church groups meet and 15 baptisms. Each of these goals that we've established last week, they, they will help us fulfill our vision as a church, growing closer to God and expanding his kingdom, as, as that is why we exist as a church. And, and these five goals for the next five years, I think, will help us in that pursuit of growing closer to God and expanding his kingdom. And so as we, as we begin these next five years in ministry together, I think we can glean from the wise words said about 60 years ago on January 20th, 1961. This is a quote from the JFK Library. On January 20th, 1961, a clerk of the U.S. Supreme Court held the large Fitzgerald family Bible as John F. Kennedy took the oath of office to become the nation's 35th president. Against a backdrop of deep snow and sunshine, more than 20,000 people huddled in 20-degree temperatures on the east front of the Capitol to witness the event. Kennedy, having removed his top, uh, top coat and projecting both youth and vigor, delivered what has become a landmark inaugural address. His audience reached far beyond those gathered before him to people around the world. In preparing for this moment, he sought both to inspire the nation and to send a message abroad, signaling the challenges of the Cold War and his hope for peace in the nuclear age. He also wanted to be brief, as he'd remarked to his close advisor, Ted Sorensen, I don't want people to think I'm a windbag. He assigned Sorensen the task of studying other inaugural speeches and Lincoln's Gettysburg Address to glean the secrets of successful addresses. The finely crafted final speech had been revised and worked, reworked numerous times by Kennedy and Sorensen until the president-elect was satisfied. Though not the shortest of inaugural addresses, Kennedy's was shorter than most at 1,355 words in length. And like Lincoln's famous speech, was comprised of short phrases and words. In addition to message, word choice, and length, he recognized that captivating his audience required a powerful delivery. On the day before and on the morning of Inauguration Day, he kept a copy handy to take advantage of any spare moment to review it, even at the breakfast table. What many considered to be the most memorable and enduring section of the speech came towards the end when Kennedy called on all Americans to commit themselves to service and sacrifice. Quote, and so, my fellow Americans, ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. He then continued by addressing his international audience. My fellow citizens of the world, ask not what America will do for you, but what together we can do for the freedom of man. Having won the election by one of the smallest popular, votes mar popular vote margins in history, Kennedy had known the great importance of the speech. People who witnessed the speech or heard it broadcast over television and radio lauded the new president. Even elementary school children wrote to him with their reaction to his idea. Following his inaugural address, nearly 75% of Americans expressed approval of President Kennedy. So about 60 years ago, as JFK was seeking to rally the country together for the next four years, as he was uh, preparing to take uh, the oath as the office to be uh, the next president, he urged his fellow Americans to ask not 
what your country can do for you, but to ask what you can do for your country. And I think we are in a similar position now as we seek to rally together for these next five years in ministry together. I would urge you to ask what you can do for your church. Whether or not we reach our goals that we are striving for in the next five years largely rests on your shoulders. You have a responsibility. You have a large part in the growth of this church. And I don't know about you, but I want this church to be a church that God continues to use for his glory and his honor. A church that he uses to expand his coming kingdom by bringing more people into the hope of the promised kingdom. And to do that, we need your help. You are all, in, you are all an instrumental piece to uh, this growth of this church. And so I, I urge you to ask what you can do for your church. This is something uh, that Paul outlines in 1 Corinthians. If you, have, if you have your Bible, you can open up to the book of 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, where Paul is addressing the church at Corinth. It is a church that had a number of issues. Uh, one such issue was division. Uh, the church was divided on who they were to follow, whether they should follow Paul, uh, the man, the gentleman, the apostle who wrote uh, this letter, or if they should uh, follow Apollos, uh, someone who was a companion of Paul, who worked along with Paul and uh, had interaction with this church at Corinth as well. So some people are saying, hey, let's follow Paul. Some people are saying, hey, let's follow Apollos. And so what what does Paul say about this division? In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 9, Paul writes, What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, being Paul, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. And so here, in Paul's response to these divisions of people, some people saying, hey, we should follow Paul. Some people saying, hey, we should follow Apollos. Paul brings attention what, what even is Apollos? What, what even is Paul? We, we, are, we are simply servants through whom you believed as the Lord Jesus assigned to each. And so Paul goes on and he explains this process. Paul explains that he is the one who planted the seeds. He is the one who, who initially shared the, the, this good news of the kingdom with them. And then Apollos later came and he watered the seed. He helped nurture this message of the kingdom with this group of believers. But the thing about Apollos and the thing about Paul is that neither of, the, of them are the ones who provided the growth. Instead, it was God. God is the one who provides the growth in this situation. But the important thing about growth in this equation is that growth does not come until someone plants the seed and until someone waters the seed. It is only after, in this situation, it's only after Paul planted and Apollos watered the seed where God provides the growth. And verse 9 there, that, that, that's pretty cool. That's pretty awesome. Paul says, for we, the church, we are God's fellow workers. And I think the same applies to us today in the 21st century. God wants to provide growth. God will provide growth. But in, the, in this equation, we first need to plant the seed and we need to water the seed, and then God is the one who provides the growth. 
And so you and I, as we are seeking to, to strive for these five goals that will help us fulfill our vision of growing closer to God and expanding his kingdom, we are working in conjunction with the creator of the heavens and the earth. How awesome is that? There is no better coworker in all of the world. We are working in conjunction with God to provide this growth. We are God's field. We are God's building. And so we want God to do great things through our church. We then have to plant and water the seed. And that means we each have to get to work. So my question for you all this morning is what can you do for the church? What can you do for the church to help uh, provide this growth that God is willing to give for those who plant and water the seed? Well, this morning I've narrowed down five things that each and every one of you can do for the church to help provide this growth. We were originally going to break down all five today, but the material uh, got too long uh, to cram it into one week, so we're going to finish breaking them down next week. But the five things that you can do uh, for the church is participate, volunteer, Give, invite, and grow. And I'm sure there's more things uh, that you can uh, throw into this list of ways in which you can contribute to the church. But if you are able to accomplish these five things, if you are able to participate, volunteer, give, invite, and grow, then you are well on your way in helping us grow as a church, as God is the one who provides that growth. And so let's break down each of these. This morning, we're just going to break down participate and volunteer. So the first thing that you can do to help uh, this church is simply participate. And this is about as easy as it gets, and yet it is extremely important. We live in a society where if you get a participation trophy, uh, that usually means you didn't win or you got last place. And uh, we feel bad for those who didn't win, so we may hand them a participation trophy saying, hey, thanks for trying. Maybe next year will be your year. And we, we all know that feeling. It could be pretty lousy getting that participation award as uh, your companions to the side of you are getting that first place trophy or that second place trophy, and all you have to show is a participation award. And that could be a pretty lousy feeling. It's more humiliating than if they didn't give you a participation award in the first place. And so although our society may not highly value participation in various categories, participation is extremely, extremely important within the church. Simply showing up is a very, very important way in which you can help provide growth here at North Hills. When, when in the context of a church, a winner is one who participates. One who helps the church is one who participates in the various ministries of the church. And simply showing up, it was extremely important for the first followers in the New Testament, the, the first Christians uh, that, that followed Christ Jesus. The writer of Hebrews writes in Hebrews uh, chapter 10, verses 24 and 25. He or she writes, And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. 
I, I mentioned uh, this last week, but we see the ravaging effects this can have on a church. And, and we all have seen this firsthand. In 2020, with the pandemic, many people neglected to meet together as the church. And eventually, many people just got out of the habit of coming together as the church. They lost the value and the importance of what it is we do here at church. And so church attendance throughout the nation absolutely plummeted in 2020. And church attendance nationwide is still trying to recover from this massive plummet that we experienced in 2020. But it appears this was not much of an issue for the early church, the, the church in Acts, the church that we're trying to mirror in our Acts troop our Acts uh, church group that meets on Wednesday nights. As uh, we read this as well before, but in Acts 2.46, describing that early church, this early church day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. Day by day, this church and Acts met together. This early church was so excited about this gospel message of the kingdom that was reinvigorated with the arrival of Christ Jesus. They were so excited that they could not help but meet day by day in both the temple and in each other's homes. It seemed like their whole lives revolved around God, revolved around Christ Jesus, and revolved around the church as it should be. And man... I wish the church in America, the church in the 21st century, had that same sort of excitement. I so wish that we were so excited about the gospel message of the kingdom that we couldn't help but meet day by day. Instead, when we get a snapshot of the church in America in the 21st century, uh, we see that it can be a struggle just to meet on a weekly basis. And the church in Acts the church that we're trying to mirror here at North Hills, the church in Acts puts the church in America to shame. You cannot hide that fact. In my eyes, what we're struggling with in the church in America, it's a lack of priorities, it's a lack of excitement, and it's a lack of passion for God and the church. Who and what are we really prioritizing with our schedules? If your schedule doesn't allow for you to participate on a consistent basis, I would then challenge you to evaluate your schedule. Who or what are you prioritizing in your life? Are you prioritizing God and the work of Christ Jesus and the work of the church through the gospel message? Or are you prioritizing your job, your sports, your family? Well, who or what are you prioritizing? And each and every one of us, we, we need to honestly evaluate that by looking at our schedules and seeing how we spend our time. And I would strongly, strongly encourage you guys not to let someone else dictate how you spend your time. Be the master of your own schedule and take hold of it. Take pride in your schedule. Your time is way too precious to let others dictate how you spend your time. When I look out uh, in the world in general, I think people are way too flippant on how we spend this valuable resource of time. And so as a church and how we can help make these next five years the best five years possible, you can use your time for God, Christ Jesus, the gospel message of the kingdom, and the church. We need to quit wasting our precious time that God has granted us because we don't know how much precious time 
we have. So the church in America in general, including us here at North Hills, we've got to do a better job of this. We've got to do a better job of simply showing up, of simply participating. This is something that I love about the church in Acts. The church in Acts didn't have a lot of the cool fancy tools and technology that we have today, but what the church of Acts had that a lot of us may be missing today is that passion and excitement for God for Christ Jesus and the gospel message of the kingdom. And let that passion, let that priority, let that excitement properly align your schedule around God so that your life revolves around God, his son, Christ Jesus, and the church. And so what can, on a more practical level, what can we participate in here at North Hills? One thing that we can participate in is worship services. Well done, all of you uh, sitting here this morning. You've done a marvelous job this morning of participating in our worship service. Our worship service is a wonderful time to praise the name of God and to seek out his truths. You can participate in Sunday school. Sunday school uh, takes place a very convenient time for uh, people. Lots of people are very busy throughout uh, their week-to-week schedules. And uh, so uh, a long time ago, uh, tradition as uh, churches were spreading out here in America, smart people decided, hey, we will put together Sunday school and, and they would put it together with their worship service. And I think they were very, very purposeful with that and, and putting it with the service, uh, understanding that it, it is a convenient way to add more uh, material when we are meeting together. And so Sunday school, very convenient time for most people Simply an hour before a worship service, you can, you can uh, plug into one of our awesome Sunday school classes. We have a staff nursery, uh, Misty and Neola. We have Karen and Katie taking care of the kids, Mark teaching our older youth, and John and Jacob teaching two awesome adult classes. I encourage you guys to participate in one of our Sunday school classes. In doing that, you can help the church fulfill the goals that we are seeking out to accomplish And these goals will help us fulfill our vision as a church, growing closer to God and expanding his kingdom. What else can you participate in? You can participate in Acts Church. Acts Church is a wonderful time to mirror one feature of that explosive church in Acts as it exploded with growth. Come join us as we eat, pray, study, and fellowship together. You can take, take part in our second harvest food bank ministry, which meets the second Wednesday of each month, which will be this Wednesday at 5.30 at the second harvest food bank. This is uh, an awesome ministry. This is one small way in which we can show our love and our care to our surrounding uh, community by packing boxes of food. You can join us for our Tuesday morning Bible study. We're taking a winter break uh, right now, but this is another time similar to Sunday school where we get to dig deep into God's word. And you can participate in our various community events. Community events are another way for us to show our love to our surrounding community. When we host our various community events, our next one being an egg hunt, you can simply show up and be a friend to our guests who show up. And so I'm not in much of a mood to be around the bush this morning. I'm being tough on you guys, uh, but sometimes tough love is what is needed. And so we need to step up to the plate, and, and we have got to do a better job. If we're seeking to accomplish our goals in, the next, in these next five years, we've got to do a better job of participating in the various ministries that our church provide. And second way which you guys can help uh, the church fulfill these goals that we've established for the next five years is that you can volunteer 
We need to have a mentality of serving others. And Jesus showed us what this looked like. If you have your Bibles, you can open up to the book of John, in John chapter 13. What I think is the ultimate expression of servicehood throughout the scriptures as we are dealing with the king of the world. We're dealing with the Messiah, the Christ, the Son of God. And in John uh, chapter 13, starting in verse 12, we're kind of skipping halfway through the story. But what we see here in John chapter 13 is that Jesus has gathered around his disciples the very night uh, that he was arrested. And Jesus knew this was coming. Jesus was already on a long journey going towards the city of Jerusalem, knowing very well that it was at Jerusalem that he was going to be betrayed and handed over to the Romans to be uh, killed. So Jesus, knowing that his time was very short, his time was very near, he gathered his disciples and he celebrated the Lord's Supper there. And what Jesus did as they were gathering together for a meal, in verse 12, uh, the last meal of Jesus with his loved ones, verse 12 of chapter 13, John writes, when he, that being Jesus, had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand what I've done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I've given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. So here Jesus, in the midst of this, I'm sure, very emotional meal that he is sharing with with his closest followers, he gets down on his knees and he begins to, to wash his disgusting disciples' feet. And after he gets done washing these disgusting feet, he says, do you see what I have done? You call me teacher and Lord, rightly so. I am your teacher. I am your Lord. I'm the Christ. I'm the son of God. And even I, your Lord and teacher, have got down and I have washed your disgusting feet. And so you also have got to wash one another's disgusting feet. And Jesus here, he says, I've given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. The last person that should have been washing these feet were the king of the world. King Jesus, he is the last person who should have got down on his knees to wash his disciples' feet. But he is the first person to get down on his knees and wash his disciples' feet. And Jesus says, I have given you an example that you should do just as I have done to you. And so we need to mirror the ministry of Jesus in our lives, and we need to seek to serve those around us. And one way in which we can serve here at North Hills is that we can volunteer for uh, the various opportunities that we have at hand. And so on a more practical level, what, what are ways in which you can volunteer? Well, I'm so glad you asked me that uh, this morning. Uh, one way in which you can volunteer is that you can volunteer for our various community events. Uh, we put on a, a few community events throughout the year, and each year beforehand, we have different ways in which you can volunteer. You can volunteer to be a greeter or coordinate uh, different greeters out there in the front uh, doors. More often than not, study shows that, that people determine whether or not they are going to come back to church for a second time within the first 30 seconds of stepping foot in a church. 
So when a guest comes into our doors, more often than not, within those first 30 seconds, they have already determined in their mind of whether or not they're going to come back a second time. And what you'll notice about those first 30 seconds is that is well before any message is preached. That is well before any song is sung. That is well before any prayer requests are shared. Is well before our worship service starts. It's how they are welcomed and it's how they are treated as a person. And so being a greeter is an extremely important ministry. You can volunteer uh, to be a greeter. If this interests you, come see me. I would love uh, to uh, steer you in the right direction. You know, help out in the nursery, Misty and Neola faithfully uh, tending for our little ones week in and week out. Um, you can uh, volunteer to help out in the nursery. If you become a member and uh, go through a couple steps, you can become a teacher. You can teach junior church, you can teach Sunday school, you can teach uh, Tuesday morning Bible study. I'd be more than happy uh, to uh, share uh, teaching Acts Church. You, uh, if you become a member and step through those couple of hoops, you can become a deacon or a deaconess, a trustee, a secretary. Uh, we're also looking for people to take pictures. Uh, that's important. Uh, presenting our best selves to those who are looking online. If someone's interested in taking pictures, I'd love to be in touch with you. Then also recently, uh, I don't know uh, what this deal is. I think you guys have been uh, working uh, together cohesively. And our, fi- our first five years uh, working together, the first four years and about 10 months, about two or three of you have said, hey, Kyle, we should really put together a directory. Well, in about these past two or three months, there's been about 10 of you uh, who have said, hey, Kyle, we should really put together a new directory. I don't know uh, who started that, but I know you guys, someone's uh, working here behind the scenes and, and wanting to put together a directory. And so if that interests you in putting together a directory, we'd love uh, to make that uh, possible. And so you can help these next five years be the best five years possible by volunteering your time, energy, and abilities. And so if any of these opportunities interest you, come see me after the service, and it would be my uh, joy and honor privilege to uh, walk you through these next steps. But these are just really two simple, easy ways in which you can help make these next five years the best five years as possible. As we at North Hills last week, we set our our hopes high for these next five years in ministry together with our five goals, as I I firmly believe we are headed in the right direction. We've been able to accomplish a lot these last five years, but folks, there is still so much left to do. And so whether or not we reach our goals of increasing our average attendance Sunday mornings for worship service and Sunday school, plugging five more people into our ministry roles, having a second Acts Church group meet, and having 15 people baptized, that rests on your shoulders. This is a group effort, a team effort. So ask not what you can do, or I I just about uh, messed that up. Ask not what uh, your country can do for you, but ask what you can do for your country. And likewise, ask not what your church can do for you, but ask what you can do for your church to help these next five years be the best five years possible. Let's pray. Father God, we just give you praise Uh, We come before you to acknowledge uh, that you are a loving father, that you are a God that provides peace, that passes all of our understanding. 
that you are a God that provides growth. Father, we are praying that you provide growth here at North Hills. Father, I pray that you watch over us together as a body of believers as we seek to plant and water the seed. And Father, as we faithfully plant and water that seed, I pray that you provide miraculous growth, a growth that only you can provide. So God, I thank you for everyone here and their ministry here at North Hills. I thank you for everything that we've been able to accomplish these past five years together as a family. And I pray that you watch over these next five years. And I pray that throughout these five years, Father, that you are glorified, that you are honored, that you are given praise, and that you are well pleased with what we're doing here at North Hills. So Father, we love you. We thank you. It's in Jesus' precious and holy name that we pray. And all of God's church said, amen.